The Start On Demand. On demand. We had a powerful conversation today with Indigenous activist and community leader Michael Champagne on Aaron O'Toole's take on residential schools. We check in with a union representing grocery store workers because on Wednesday when I was at the store, the young woman who was cleaning the carts and handing them out to customers over and over and over again kept having to answer the same question and the answer was always, yes, you have to take a grocery cart. Has to be frustrating dealing with that all day long. And we talk about Christmas shopping stress today and on the fun side, what's the most unique or quirky little Christmas gift that you've bought that turned out to go very well. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, December 17th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is back next week, and on the subject of shopping... Greg Mackling. Good morning, Brett McGarry. How are you, by the way? I'm doing okay. It's a Thursday, one step closer to Friday. Can I put it that way? I'm just going to frame the entire day with that one statement. It's Thursday, one day closer to Friday. And now I have the song One Step Closer by Linkin Park in my head. So thank you for that, because I love that song. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. I usually uh, plant the wrong earworms. So uh, if that one is something that you don't mind having bouncing around in your head, you're very welcome. Not a particularly happy song, but it's a fun song to drive to, I guess, especially if you're experiencing some road rage. I was going to say angrily. (laughs) (laughs) Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace too. 4832-6243. This is the question that went up yesterday afternoon. Are you done your Christmas shopping? And 34% actually say just finished. 30% say, guess I should start, huh? Whew. 25% say, I was done a month ago. Really? That's, that's impressive. And 11% say about halfway there. Usually by now, I would, I'm close to being done. I think there was one time where I finished, I was done all of my shopping before the month of December even began. And I never did that again, partly because it actually took away from some of the fun of the season. Because? It be, I find it, it's sort of, it can be stressful, but it, it's part of the adventure, I think. Finding that perfect gift? Yeah, or, or just part, of, just the hunt. And if, so, of course, this year is completely different, right? Because well, sure. you can't go out for that hunt. you got to do everything online. So mm-hmm. I'm actually having a hard time this year getting inspired to do everything online. I've been able to pick up a few things. Like I've, I got you that, that really cool uh, bomber painting that was done by a local artist. So that I ticked two boxes there. I got you something bombers, and I you know, helped a, a local creator. Well, it's hanging in a very special location already in my house. I, I normally put gifts under the tree yeah. and don't open them until Christmas Day, but I had to hang this thing immediately. So I once again thank you. And I think it's just exemplary of the ideas that we're having this year of supporting local and maybe finding something unique and 
but there are challenges associated with it, I think, is what you're trying to get at. Yeah, and in your defense, by the way, I didn't even wrap the gift. I just said, here you, you go. You did. It was wrapped <laughs> in uh, two in a, white like garbage uh, plastic bag. bags. <laughs> yeah, a couple of kitchen garbage bags. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just having a hard time getting motivated to, to wrap it up. And I know it's too late now, probably, if I want to order something online, unless I pay you know, some pricey shipping or what have you. Uh, like, and I only really have a handful of gifts left, but I'm just I'm having a hard time finishing that off. So let us know what you think in terms of Christmas shopping. You can cast your vote at cjob.com, and we'll throw that poll up on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. Where are you at in your Christmas shopping? Well, I'm pretty good. I think I'm essentially done. Jackie and I really don't buy anything for one another anymore because we've got some projects we want to do around the house, and so those are taking precedent. Uh, the boys are constantly emailing, how about this, Dad? How about this, Mom? This looks great. And then, of course, it's the whole notion of can I get it locally because that's the preference. If I can, do they have it in stock? What's the procedure to pick it up? And then conversely, if it's not available locally, how long will it take to get here? Well, I bit the bullet and ordered a couple of things on the weekend. They're not likely to re- arrive until the week after Christmas, maybe into the new year, but that's okay. Kids are going to be home from school anyway. It'll stretch out the Christmas season a, a tiny bit. I, I never mind getting gifts even into January. I don't mind giving gifts into January because, uh, you know, this whole notion of the Christmas day, it's the Christmas season in my mind. So it's yeah. nice to spread it out a little bit and might be even more important this year. So we're going to have a conversation at 645 about Christmas shopping. Specifically, what's a unique gift that you've maybe purchased for somebody that went over surprisingly well? You know, you just bought this quirky little thing that went over like went over gangbusters or per Conversely, maybe it didn't go over well at all. And you can text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a car pass for Canadian's Winter Wonderland. Also today at 745, we're going to check in with grocery store workers because yesterday I was at uh, the store that I go to is Safeway. It's right next to where I live in Osborne Village. and You sound like you're apologizing for that somewhat. What's that? Just the tone in your voice. It's like it's like you're almost like there's an apology there. Oh, I don't know, just explaining it. But uh, I go there and I walk in and the young woman who's having to clean the grocery carts had to say to almost every person, yes, you need to take a grocery cart. We have to do it for headcount purposes. Yes, please take a grocery cart. Like, look, Karen, I know you just want to get yourself some old Dutch Ariba creamy guacamole chips and that's all you need, but just take the cart. Like, stop giving this young woman flack. I feel I felt so bad. Imagine answering that same stupid question for eight hours or however long your shift is. I can't imagine having to do that over and over and over again. And you would think that based on the fact that there are people going there for just a handful of items, probably not your first time to that very same store. Probably not the first time you've encountered this policy. Yeah, so it's just, I, I felt bad and I just wanted to, to put that out there. So we're going to check in and see how they're doing because it was a situation where at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody had to take a cart and everybody complied and then they started lo- loosening the restrictions mm-hmm. and made it so that you didn't have to take a cart and they even brought hand baskets back temporarily, at least at my location. And now it's back to, you got to have a cart. This is how we know how many people are in the store and that's the end of it. And people are getting frustrated because now the lineups, especially once it cools off, when if you got to stand outside, 
in the line. I don't want to have to stand outside in, in, in minus 30 or however cold it gets. I understand that. That's going to be a difficult situation, something difficult and something we're all going to have to navigate at some point in time. I noticed at the Sobeys on North Main, they have... Almost, you know, you can buy these portable garages, Brett, like if you don't have enough room in your regular garage or you don't have a regular garage in the first place, they are metal framed and they've got like a canvas top on them. They've actually installed or put one of these up out front of the Sobeys on North Main so people don't have to wait in the wind when it's cold. Oh, good for them. So they've extended their vestibule, if that's the correct terminology. Yeah, a lot of stores are probably going to have to start thinking of stuff like that because once it gets really cold and we're still in the thick of this, it's going to be brutal. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back next week. Since our question of the day at CJOB.com has to do with Christmas shopping, the question there is, are you done your Christmas shopping? We wanted to have a chat about unique Christmas gifts that you have bought that went well or maybe not so well. And, and let me start it off here. We got Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, Jeff Forte. And mine has to do with this. The Office. 2008 was dating somebody who adored this show just adored the office so i bought her a bunch of little things for our christmas it was our first christmas together (laughs) and i bought her paper i bought her like two stacks of paper it was just normal office paper but they happened to be wrapped in dunder mifflin packaging so when she opened it up she went insane with joy she was so happy and so thrilled to be receiving dunder mifflin branded paper so i bought her paper and it worked swimmingly she was ecstatic so there's an example of a unique gift that went pretty well jeff braun i know you like your gift cards you ever stray from that uh, n- not really. Uh, one of the gifts I received, though, I thought was very strange. And this was back in 1995. The gift would be popular now, but back then it seemed very weird to me. My parents gave me a cell phone and it wasn't a full big brick phone, but it was like a half brick kind of phone. And I remember being just bummed about it. I was like, who wants a phone as a gift? It's just, it's a, it's a tool. I was like, give me a VHS movies or CDs or something, please. And I had it for a few years. They gave it to me because I was in college in Brandon and I was doing a lot of highway driving in a very unstable old Dodge Shadow that uh, broke down all the time. So they're like, that kid needs a cell phone just in case. And I did use it a couple of times. So it, it worked out that way. But I also... I left it in my glove box 24 hours a day. I, I never even took it out of the car because I, I, none of my friends had one. I had no one to call on it anyhow. <laughs> That's funny that you put it that way. Why, who would want a cell phone? Uh, how times have changed. But yeah, I remember 95, no one was carrying cell phones around. Kelly Moore, what about you? Well, uh, <laughs> I have not even come. Well, I shouldn't say I, I've done okay on Christmas shopping this year, but the online experience to an old fogey is just it's challenging to say the least but uh it's still a lot safer than many many years ago uh, back when i was doing play-by-play for the camels blazers and uh before christmas one of our road trips took us into spokane washington and i had uh, some downtime so i thought i would take a walk in downtown spokane stopped in at one of the department stores there i don't remember which one it was but all i know is there was a blue light special off to my broadcast left. So I went scurrying over there because 
there were all these people huddled around it. I thought, man, it's got to be a great deal if there's a blue flashing light. They were zirconia earrings. And I thought, everybody's buying these. So my wife's going to love them. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so Failed. the moral of this story is if you're out Christmas shopping and even if you see a blue flashing light online, stay away, stay far, far away. <laughs> hey, I should clarify as well. Dunder Mifflin, by the way, that was the company that they all worked for in the office. The name of the company was Dunder Mifflin. They were a paper company. So that's why uh, my then girlfriend lost her mind with excitement. GMAC, what about you? Well, I'm terrible at the unique gifts. I confess this to you before we came on the air. I sort of have a set parameters of things that I buy and it's sort of, uh, they're not even glamorous enough to be considered traditions. So I won't even dub them as such, but uh, I guess the gift I got that really hit the ball out of the park was a Wayne Gretzky doll that I got when I was 16 years old at Christmas. Everyone in my family knew that I did not like Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> did not like the Edmonton Oilers. We were all together. There must have been 20 of us gathered around. And when I opened that gift, the laughter was absolutely hilarious and uh, there are pictures of me i had a perm at the time which was <laughs> even worse uh but it, it was the perfect gift i never ever in a hundred years would have imagined anybody would have bought it for me and it was just so considerate ironic it was it was brilliant do you still have it no i think i told uh loren McNabb that uh, once upon a time i put that uh, doll on a string and hung it in effigy and different games in the Winnipeg <laughs> oh, come Arena. On, you still snuggle with it at no, nighttime. No, come I on. do not have it, but I imagine what that Wayne Gretzky rookie card sold for a million bucks last week. I don't yeah. know what a Wayne Gretzky doll is even worth now. I think I uh, might have uh, damaged my own retirement plans by not <laughs> holding on to that. Forte, what about you? Um, you know, this year is very difficult for uh, Christmas shopping because for me, I like to walk through the mall. I don't know what I want or what I'm looking yeah. for for someone. And uh, like a couple of years ago, I came across the uh, the moose mug from Christmas Vacation, Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm. And I got that for my dad, which he loved. But uh, a, a present that I got my dad that got him quite emotional was a handheld vacuum. He got emotional over it. Really? Yeah, well, it was a Dyson, so it was a nice one. But yeah, it was just something that I bought for him so he can clean his car very easily. He has the dog in there, and uh, yeah, he got emotional. So I don't know if that's weird, but... Well, maybe he was just emotional that uh, you, know, you bought him a, a gift that's both thoughtful and quite practical, and it's a Dyson. They're Dyson. awesome. That's yeah. a, that's a, not a cheap gift there, Forte. Well done. Um, I Yeah, the best vacuum I ever had was a Dyson. It, it was like a pet... It was specific for pet hair. It cost like 800 bucks, but I had two cats and a dog, and wow, it was awesome. Uh, and this text message, this is great too. I gave my sister an old, beat-up, colored-on library book. It was her favorite childhood book, The Wizard of Op by Ed Emberley. Out of print and hard to find, she cried. The rest of the family was very confused. She now has a tattoo of the main character. So that's a super thoughtful gift to remember something from someone's childhood and to track down that book. Mac, 
Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week before we introduce our next guest. Text message from Kristen at 204-780-6868. We're asking you to share us a story about a unique or quirky little gift that you got somebody for Christmas that went over huge. And Kristen says, sadly, the gift I remember giving that ended up being the biggest hit was a deck of playing cards. I once gave a friend slash coworker this deck of adult playing cards and the gentlemen displayed were in shall we say full bloom oh my and everything was very 1980s oh my My friend thought it was the greatest thing on the planet she ended up hosting a passion party and used the cards for the decor (laughs) (laughs) right on right on hey and tim sent uh, us a text message as well he said greg i was shocked last week when the wayne gretzky rookie card went for over a million bucks I had three of those rookie cards. Come I on. color, yeah, I colored uh, stitches and a crutch on one, uh, and uh, on the other I kept with a complete collection. I gave it to my nephew who is seven years younger, along with my BMX. He destroyed the collection, and my sister threw them out. And here's the deal: it's thanks to boneheads like. Tim and I, who gave away these cards to people who didn't appreciate them, who thought that these were just things to be frivolously thrown in the garbage or colored upon or cut. That's why they're worth so much, because so many people didn't realize that they had something special. I certainly didn't realize I had anything special. I know for sure I had at least three or four copies of that Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Long story short, the reason that one was worth a million dollars is because of how it was cut. Perfectly square. And there were no, there was no damage to it whatsoever, which was very, very unusual. Even if you bought them in a pack, they usually had some sort of damage in the corners. This one was in absolute pristine condition. So keep texting us, by the way, in your gifts, 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a Canadian's Winter Wonderland car pass. We'll give that away at 9.15. Our next guest is a regular contributor on The Start. As head of the Manitoba School Boards Association, we call on him for insight into the education system, and there has been no shortage of concern surrounding education during this pandemic. Yeah, also in the midst of this pandemic, Brett, government continues to do its job on all fronts, including anticipated changes to how the province delivers education programs. Alan Campbell penned this opening in his op-ed printed in the Winnipeg Free Press this past Tuesday. A month ago, Minister of Education Calvin Gertson introduced Bill 64, titled the Education Modernization Act. According to Gertson, the bill will, quote, ensure that education system is focused on providing the best outcome for students in Manitoba. Now, contrary to normal practice, this bill was then withheld from public scrutiny, leading to rampant speculation concerning its possible contents. The headline attached, Time to Lift Shroud from Bill 64. Alan Campbell, president of the Manitoba School Boards Association, joins us now. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. So you say this bill wasn't presented in an, uh, a usual fashion. How was it tabled versus, can we say, how most bills are usually tabled? So the Education Modernization Act has been tabled in the legislature by name only. <clears throat> so um, another bill that touches on some uh, central bargaining issues, uh, Bill 45, which was also tabled at the same time, um, was more traditional in that it it's accompanied by, 
you know, hundreds of pages of, of, of background that went into the legislative development process and then spells out exactly what the plan is on this legislation. So the fact that we're still waiting for the K-12 review report to be released, and rightfully so, our position continues to be that now is not the time to be releasing a report that could contain ideas like forced amalgamation or school division elimination uh, during a time when the public education system is so much under strain. Um, But with all of that said, to release a bill called Education Modernization Act when the last bill that it sounded like that was the Public School Modernization Act under the last NDP government, which did uh, lead to the removal of 17 uh, school divisions from the province's map. So um, on one hand, we're hearing that we don't want to create more stress for the system. Minister Gertzen has stated that many times. On the other hand, he's doing a good job of it. What's your ultimate concern as to what might be inside this bill? Well, the, when the K-12 review was announced uh, way back, it seems like a lifetime ago, in 2018, uh, Minister Gertson stated that everything was on the table, including elimination of school boards. So for the Manitoba School Boards Association, uh, that's obviously very concerning. And when we look at what possible timelines on the release of that report might be, last report was possibly summer of 2021. Well, the way the legislative agenda works, you start tabling legislation that you want to try to act on, um, say, in the fall of 2020 uh, for the summer of 2021. Now, we don't have the report on the K-12 review. We don't have the, uh, I'll say, the guts of Bill 64 to look at. Um, But we have comments like those that the Premier has made in the last few days about cutting administrative positions in school divisions in 2021. So when you look at how completely misinformed those comments are by the Premier, at a time when school divisions and senior administrators and school principals and frontline education staff are doing everything they can to hold the system together, for the Premier to go out there without any context and say that we're looking at cutting education administration positions in the coming year is just so damaging. And so that only feeds speculation about what Bill 64 might uh, might entail. Alan, we're, we're quickly running out of time here, but there are going to be people skeptical of your position on this. They're going to suggest perhaps that you're only interested in protect, protecting the interest of individuals working within the bureaucracy of the school board system. And there are those same people might say that that part of the system does very little to enhance the education of our school age ch- children. You know that skepticisms out there we do know that skepticism is out there and i would challenge anyone who who looks at 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 what the role of their local school board with skepticism is with skepticism uh, and and look at some of the decisions and some of the comments that have been made by provincial officials by the premier by members of the legislative assembly and and contemplate what centralized decision making on broadway would look for your look like for your local public school without any public consultation, without the perspectives of your local community in terms of the resources and the staffing and the, and the community um, importance that exists in, in your local public school. So be skeptical, but also be informed. It's not enough to just say you don't, you don't think that the bureaucracy does enough for classrooms. School boards cost Manitobans less than half a cent of every dollar 
that is spent on education in this province. And senior administrators, superintendents' departments cost less than four cents of every dollar. So these comments about how the system is top-heavy um, are completely baseless. We've challenged the government many times to point to some sort of statistic that supports those comments. They have yet to do so, I suspect, because there's nothing that supports it. And when we finally do see what Bill 64 says, when we finally do see what the K-12 review holds, we'll be there to make sure that Manitobans continue to be informed about what's at stake when it comes to their democratic right to make sure that their local public schools are governed locally. Alan Campbell, president of the Manitoba School Boards Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Alan, thank you for the time. Thanks so much, guys. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back next week. We are asking you at 204-780-6868 to text us the unique, quirky little gifts that you have bought that went over surprisingly well. So not necessarily the big gift, but just something small or something funny that turned out to be a really well-received gift, or maybe not so well-received. And, uh, Greg, we're getting tons of feedback, as always, at 204-780-6868. Oh, I, I exasperated. I yelled. I said, oh, this is an awesome one before I moved it uh, into where we could read it. My wife and I have a set amount that we spend on each other every Christmas. One year, I had about $60 left to spend. While driving my route, I was a Winnipeg Transit driver, I noticed a recording studio on Selkirk Avenue. My wife loved to sing and has a wonderful voice. I purchased a one-hour recording session for her. It was, as she said and still says, the best gift she ever received. That is awesome. Great gift. I've been to that recording studio, too, as part of my... uh Red River College days. It's oh. a neat little place. So that's cool to, to bring back that memory. So thank you for sharing that. We want to ask you, and we're going to crack the phone lines right now at 204-780-6868. We want you to call us and tell us your favorite small town Christmas traditions, your typical Christmas traditions. Obviously, things this year have to be different, but is there something special that your hometown does for Christmas? Or maybe there's a town that you just like to visit under normal circumstances because of something they do for Christmas. So, so shoot us a text, to, or shoot us a call, pardon me, 204-780-6868. Call us now. And tell us about your favorite small town Christmas traditions. And while we're waiting for those calls to come in, Greg, uh, you flagged a great text message from Greg. I did indeed. Now, this won't count as a small town tradition, but a yearly tradition nonetheless. So here it goes. Every Christmas, I like to surprise my sister with a fun gift. One year, when running errands with my dad and a friend, I told them I had to stop and pick up a box of turtle chocolates for my sister's gift. Everyone loves turtles, chocolate, so they thought this was a great idea. When we got back into the vehicle, they were surprised when I opened up the box of turtles right away and offered them some. Little did they know I was going to eat most of the turtles first and replace each piece of chocolate with a picture of a turtle. It got a great laugh at Christmas when my sister opened her 
gift. We still talk about it every Christmas and laugh when we offer each other a turtle's chocolate. Thank you very much for that, Greg, at 204-780-6868. And keep those texts coming for each chance to win at Canadian's Winter Wonderland Car Pass. We'll give that away at 915 based on your texts. On the quirky, unique, small, thoughtful gifts that you gave for Christmas that went over huge. And you can call us now. Would love to hear your voice at 204-780-6868 for the small town salute. We want to look outside the perimeter and hear about a typical year Christmas tradition. Maybe you've got a special parade that you want to talk about, or I don't know, there's some sort of gathering uh, that is unique to that community. Would love to hear from you at 204-780-6868. Call us now to share your stories. Did you... I remember, like, obviously Winnipeg, Greg, has its big Santa Claus parade most years. But I also remember there being, you know, when I grew up in Transcona, we, there was like a, a sort of a smaller scale Christmas parade and they would throw candies at us. Uh, did you have anything like that in your neck of the woods when you were growing up? No, I don't. Nothing that I can recall. Of course, the Santa Claus parade was always a big deal. I think when I was younger, it used to run closer to my house. Uh, the traditional parade route, I think, maybe started at Polo Park and worked its way downtown. I think it's only been in the last 20 years or so where it's been delivered and, and that's where you watch the parade is in the downtown. But then now I'm thinking about the Great Cup Parade in 91. That was downtown. Anyway, sorry, I don't mean to be thinking out loud on the air, but the, <laughs> the notion that uh, there'd be a special Santa Claus or Christmas parade in Transcona, that has me giddy. That is so cool. What what, I, what well, was involved there? I don't really remember. And now that I think about it, I'm not sure if it was even <laughs> Santa Claus. Because I was so little uh, and they stopped doing it. I don't remember when. So it may, it well, may they were have been throwing high candy. They were throwing candy at kids. So yeah. maybe that was the reason <laughs> it was stopped. Someone got injured. Probably. <laughs> so it may have may not have been a Santa Claus parade. I seem to recall it being Christmas related, but it may have been for something else. But if you have a tradition that is unique to your small town, or maybe not unique, maybe it's just something you miss from a place you grew up, or maybe it's something that still happens year after year in the spot where you live. Maybe can't happen this year, but we would love to hear your voice at 204-780-6868. In the meantime, I also want to read uh, this text message on the gifts. This is from Monique, and she says, Hey, I needed a quick gift and could only purchase something essential due to the pandemic. So I bought a package of toilet paper... (laughs) and a few small bottles from the liquor store, and I slid the bottles in the tubes of the toilet paper and wrapped it up. It was a hit. L-O-L. That sounds like a great gift exchange. We have a text message. Uh, Kenora in northwestern Ontario, Winnipeg East, some people call it. They, um, this is from Sandy. They light around 2,000 ice candles at the graveyard for Christmas. It's super beautiful and special. And then uh, we got a text message from someone who lives close to Starbuck. Amazing Christmas gift and this notion of what happens in small towns. We're going to combine it here. One year, my amazing husband made me a beautiful joy sign in Christmas lights. The letters are five feet tall every year. We put it up outside. It brings me much joy, a wonderful reminder about the season and the best gift ever. Hey, Sandy, by the way, if you have any pictures of the the 2,000 ice candles, 
handy, uh, feel free to share one, 204-780-6868. You know the number you just texted us. <laughs> David is on the line. David, where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, South uh, St. Patel. Okay. Okay, but I originally grew up in Myrtle, Manitoba, but we farmed just west of Myrtle between Lazar, St. Lazar. Okay. Anyways, uh, I used to love to sing. So I'm going to sing just a few lines. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. What this world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, especially now at Christmas time. Thank Beautiful. you very much. Beautiful. You're quite the crooner, David. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that was that was lovely. Uh, I know I, I had some hesitation. Like, oh boy, he's about to sing. But that was lovely. It sounded like we were listening to an old timey record. Uh, that was great, Renee. What, where yeah. are you calling from? Um, well, I'm here in Winnipeg, but I'm calling about my hometown of St. Rose du Lac. Okay, what was the tradition there? Well, every year in my hometown, we have a Boxing Day social, and it's it was always a highlight to kind of look forward to. Um, you know, you spend that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day with your family, and uh, it was you know, which is wonderful. But it was always just kind of the highlight to be able to go to the Boxing Day social and see everybody else, all your friends, and and just be able to go out and have a really good time dancing. And um, it was always just yeah, just special, you know, to to look forward to every year. You weren't ever too tired for the social? Oh, no. Never <laughs> too tired to go out and have fun. A Boxing Day social. That is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, wow. It, it was a hit every year, and everybody would come out, and it didn't matter what day of the week it was on. And all the money that was raised went back into the community for, you know, the Kinsmen or Canets or the rec committee or, you know, wherever we felt the money was needed. But, um, but it, it, it's always just a highlight every year to, to go home and, and look forward to that Boxing Day social after spending hours with your family. <laughs> Obviously can't happen this year, but is this something that, that would, would have otherwise occurred? Absolutely. It would have, it would have occurred. It, yeah, it's still a tradition. It's been happening since for as long as I can remember. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it won't be this year, but we look forward to hopefully next year. Awesome, Renee. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a great Terrific. idea. And she's right. She, she put it so succinctly. You know, it's nice to see your family on the mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then you get together and see your friends on Boxing Day and have yourself a little Boxing Day blowout. Yeah, a little bit of Christmas cheer with the whole gang, and that saves you from having to do that Typical pit stop thing where you have to drive around and see everyone. You can get to one central location, crank the tunes, and uh, enjoy the libation. Well, Renee, thank you for sharing that story. David, thank you for the song for the Small Town Salute, which once again is brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort. Just 30 minutes north on Highway 59. Visit southbeachcasino.ca for updates. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back next week. Let's talk groceries, Greg. Let's do that. Uh, those uh, those sound, you know, we, we've had some concerns, right, Brett, with regards to what's going on. And yesterday you sent me a text message regarding your experience at the grocery store. You expressed, uh, as it came across to me, some exasperation as to some of the things the employees at the store were still needing to deal with. 
I also sensed a genuine concern for the well-being of those workers, Brett. Well, yeah, there's there's nothing to sense. It was obvious exasperation and obvious concern because I was angry as I waited in line at the Safeway and this young woman cleaning the grocery carts, having to explain to every single person, yes, you need to take a cart. And I, I get it. You, you, you walk into the store, you just need to grab one thing and you say, like, cause I remember when uh, I... When the pandemic started, everybody had to take a cart. We all knew it, and we just did it. And then they started to loosen restrictions, and then it was sort of, do I have to take a cart? Do I not have to take a cart? And, and then you say, well, look, I only need to buy one thing. Uh, I don't need to take a cart. And they, but now they say, no, look, it's for headcount purposes, so you got to take a cart. And some of the people were getting really mad at this young woman, and I thought, imagine having to do this all day long. It's got to be so frustrating. Well, we decided we should reach out to the UFCW, Local 832, joined now by their president, Jeff Traeger. Good morning. Jeff. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? We're doing all right. Anecdotally, how are your members doing? Uh, well, they're uh, burnt out. It's pretty much like uh, the story uh, that was just told about the Safeway uh, incident that happened yesterday. Um, if the public has pandemic fatigue, then I would say the folks that uh, are members working in retail are feeling are feeling that double. So just imagine how frustrated some people are having to go in the grocery store and follow all these various protocols like taking a cart, like wearing a mask, like waiting in line because there's only 25% allowed in the, of capacity allowed in the store. Think of how sick the workers are that have to go through that each and every workday, day in and day out. They're uh, frustrated, they're burnt out, they're tired. And you know, uh, and in the middle of all this, with the changes that were recently announced to Sunday shopping and holiday shopping, now the hours are expanded even more in the stores on Sundays. And these folks that work in these stores who already need a rest are facing having to work on holidays, like many of the stores have announced they're open on New Year's Day. Are you hearing any horror stories from the front lines? Well, you know, just the the same things that we were hearing all the way back uh, since March, and that is uh, issues with customers being extremely rude to our members. You know, um, it's uh, it's not their fault that they that you had to wait in line. It's not their fault that you have to wear a mask. It's not their fault that you have to take a cart. But it seems like when those uh, those folks sense frustration. Uh, they take it out on on the person who's operating the till or stocking the shelves, and it's you know it's just wrong. Uh, we did have you know we have incidents of people forcing themselves in through the exit because they didn't want to wait in line, so they just wait for somebody to come in the exit and they run in the store, and then what are you going to do? You're going to throw them out? Uh, you know, his management has to be called, but by the time they do it, those people have already done their shopping. So there's all kinds of all kinds of things going on like that that have been persistent right since the beginning of the pandemic. Jeff, I know there are lots of people that make sure that they thank those clerks, those individuals who are working in these situations every single time they're in the store. There have to be some good news, feel-good news stories that are coming out of this. Please tell us there I, are. I, there are. There are. I'm going to tell you that the stories that I just told you about customers being rude to our members are the the small minority, that the vast majority of people are following the restrictions the way they're supposed to. They're they're, uh, actually being kind to our members. And, you know, one of our messages out to the public in the spring and again this fall is it's really time to be kind. We're all in this together. We hear, you know, uh, talk about how we all have to get through this the same uh, the same way as the person standing next to you. So just remember that when 
you're in the grocery store that that person is just going to work and doing their job and following their restrictions just like everybody else. If there was somebody that I'd like to see thanking uh, our members more, it's the employers. Uh, I want to put a big shout out to Safeway, who is providing uh, pandemic pay at this time. But, you know, you got a company like Loblaw that their revenue uh, year over year in Q3 of 2020 increased by over a billion dollars, 1.016 billion to be exact. And they're not providing any pandemic pay to the people working at Superstore, No Frills or Extra Foods. And even Red River Co-op, who have seen a giant increase in sales since the pandemic began, not providing any uh, additional pay. They, They did it in uh, March, April, and May last year, and when we went into lockdown, we wrote to all of them to say now's the time to restore that recognition of the risk these people are taking in the workplace. But while uh, Safeway, which is owned by the parent company Sobeys, has uh, come forward and done that, uh, Loblaw and Red River Co-op have adamantly refused. Jeff Trigger is president UFCW Local 832, joining us live on 680 CGOB. Jeff, thank you for the time as always, sir. We appreciate it. Ah, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Have a good day. We talked about some of the gifts that we've been trying to buy for people, Greg, as it pertains to shopping locally by shop- buying from local creators or local makers, as uh, some of our friends call them. And uh, look, in many cases, there are just really unique initiatives popping up in order to promote the support local movement. Yeah, uh, we want to tell you about one such partnership today. Lisa Malbrank of Diamond Gallery joins us now, a family-owned business in our community looking to help other small business expand their footprint at this time of year. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking some time with us. And uh, I've known your dad, Alan, a little bit from stuff that he's done in the community over the years. So uh, it was a no-brainer to bring you on. So just tell us a little bit about what you're up to and how you've reached out to other locally owned smaller businesses in uh, support of them and their endeavors to stay relevant to, in many cases, Lisa, to stay in business. Well, I think earlier this fall when, uh, when the restaurant industry was impacted, we're the first to be um, closed with the new restrictions. Um, my heart really went out to them, um, especially just because we can relate to them, you know, smaller run, some family-owned, some brand-new restaurants that are really just trying to uh, make a go of it and, and to get started or to continue their, their established business um, during a very difficult time. So as my, my parents and I, as a family business, we were trying to think of other ways to try to, uh, you know, do a gift with purchase or some other incentive or promotion for our own clients. Um, my, my thought was to work with some uh, local restaurants. And I know the hashtag uh, Save Manitoba uh, restaurants uh, had started popping up. Um, uh, Susie Parker had started that, and I really thought, you know what? Restaurants, that's who I really want to work with um, during this time, because we all have our favorite restaurants in the city, and uh, so we uh, we reached out to a number of restaurants, and in the uh, end, we have 20 local, independent, small operation restaurants uh, that we're working with um, for for this promotion, and where they have given us for $25 gift certificates, and we have given them a pair of pearl earrings. For us, on our end, we will, with each purchase, over $200 from our online store, you receive a $25 gift certificate to the restaurant of your choice from our partners. And in the, on the other end, each restaurant gets to do a promotion um, on, to help drive, um, you know, 
delivery or pickup um, sales from their restaurant. Uh, so they can get, um, you know, they had to do a draw with the, what we've provided for them. So it's a win-win for everyone. It's uh, more community-minded and just getting raising awareness for each other's businesses. Well, and that's one of the things that uh, we've noticed over the last several years in this city is just how much... Uh, different businesses, uh, small businesses are really looking to, to collaborate with each other and work together, not just to lend a hand, but it's, uh, you know, they, they see the mutual benefit uh, to helping each other out. Well, I, and I really think it's the pen, this is this community mindedness um, of Winnipeg and over, overall has been has been part of uh, our city for for generations now. But I think the pandemic has really um, really brought more light to it and really gotten Winnipegers and Manitobans for that, to think about the small establishments in our community that, you know, help make our city unique. And uh, these are, you know, these are just moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles who are in our city who are community members, and uh, it's great to support them and continue that uh, after the pandemic as well. You know, Lisa, as you talk about this, I can't help but think about some of the small towns, we did our small town salute at 7.35 this morning, and I imagine small town uh, all across North America are struggling with their, with their main streets, and those were where businesses started, where the communities grew up around these main streets. And then I think about Selkirk Avenue and the incredible history that was there once upon a time. We're, we're in essence, trying to recreate this digitally. Exactly. Just kind of still keeping those same spots in mind, but uh, yeah, kind of bringing it to a new uh, digital age for sure. I love it. Mm-hmm. How can people uh, get involved? Is it is as simple as going to your website? Is there any restaurants that you'd like to give a shout out that you're working with right now before we let you run? Well, I'd like to mention all the restaurants we're working with, so I'll quickly mention them. We have the Burger Factory, Silver Heights Restaurant, La Fiesta, Travisi Cafe, Corrientes, The Feast, Wood Tavern, Capital Grill, Smith Restaurant, Red Top Restaurant, Nicolino's, Hearth, Prairie Kitchen, Fusion Grill, La Pampa, Kumkum Garden, The Oak, Ruby West, Resto Gar, and Tommy's Pizzeria. All fabulous restaurants that everyone should think about ordering from this week. Lisa Malbrank from the Diamond Gallery joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this. This is a great initiative. Thanks so much for having me. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back next week. We have been asking you this morning to text us on the unique gifts that you have purchased. Just little quirky gifts that turned out to be like big hits, right? Because sometimes you swing for the fences with this big, massive gift, but it ended up being this silly little thing on the side that was the favorite. So we got tons of great stories this morning at 204-780-6868. And Greg, I remember you liked one from Gene. Did I isolate the correct text here from Gene? You did, and it came very early this morning. I liked this because I said to Gene, I know someone who works somewhere where they have stopped handing out sticky notes. So this was reminiscent of that. Just before Christmas of 2018, my employer stopped purchasing... Kleenex for staff use. For Christmas, I bought everyone their own box of three-ply Kleenex. I wrapped them in different size boxes, used gift wrap suitable for the recipients. It didn't cost me much, and everyone got a good laugh 
about their gift. I want to read this one from Garth before we get to the winner here, Greg, because I just spotted this one and it made me laugh. Back in 2007 for Christmas, I bought a necklace for my girlfriend that she said was nice. She was really hinting at the engagement rings besides Mm. the necklaces. I needed something to put it around when I gave it to her. So I bought uh, a big... What do you call those? A Thai penguin? Yeah, Thai. Like that's the company that makes the Beanie Babies, yeah. I believe. So I bought a big Thai penguin, figuring the penguin would just be the carrier. Well, it wasn't the case. Necklace was on the table, and she was cuddling the stuffy. <laughs> that one penguin has since turned into hundreds. The house is full of them, including mm. special ones that people have bought us over the years, including a few that now travel with us. So uh-huh. look at that. That's it turned into tradition. an obsession, a collection obsession. It's like when the kids play with the box instead of the toy <laughs> that you bought them. <laughs> but our winning text is also one we read earlier, but we both just loved this. I gave my sister an old beat-up colored-on library book. It was her favorite childhood book, The Wizard of Op, out of print and hard to find. She cried. The rest of the family was very confused. She now has a tattoo of the main character. Talk about carrying that gift with you for an awfully long time. So that's our winning text this morning. Congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing that. And all the stories you guys share all the time, you are just as much of our storytelling as we are. So thank you. And you win yourself uh, Canadian's Winter Wonderland car pass for sending us that text. We don't know your name, though. So we're going to reach out to you in a second to get those details. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back next week. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. And we carried yesterday afternoon's question at cjob.com. Are you done your Christmas shopping? We've also thrown this up on Twitter, at 680CJOB, if you want to cast your vote there. On cjob.com, we've got 32% who say just finished. 31% say I was done a month ago. 14% say about halfway there. That's where I would find myself. And 23% say, yeah, I guess I should start, huh? So, oh boy. Cast your vote, cjob.com. In the meantime, in a week where several Canadian provinces continue to see record setting COVID 19 cases, and in a week where some frontline Canadian healthcare workers are receiving the first doses of a COVID 19 vaccine, you would be forgiven if this next story did not hit your radar screen. A video of Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole telling a group of students residential schools were created to, quote, try and provide education and, quote, became horrible. O'Toole made the comments in a video posted by the Ryerson Conservatives Club Facebook page on November 5th. When it comes to residential schools in the modern era, have a better record than the Liberals. That shocks the hell out of the woke crowd, I'll tell you. But I can send you, you know how you know? All of the schools were listed in the Truth and Reconciliation Report, a report asked for by Stephen Harper. So let's learn from the bad mistakes and in some case tragic circumstances of our past. But when Egerton Ryerson was called in by Hector Langevin and people, it was meant to try and provide education. It became a horrible program that that really harmed people. We have to learn from that. And I, I wear orange and I do that. But we're not helping anyone by by misrepresenting the past. By the time Pierre Trudeau opened those schools, it was 100 years after we knew the pro program was a disaster. 
O'Toole walked back some of his comments about residential schools in a statement yesterday saying the system was not intended to try and provide education. The system was not was intended to remove children from the influence of their homes, families, and traditions and cultures, O'Toole said in a statement emailed to Global News. O'Toole added that the very existence of the schools is a terrible stain on Canada's history and that has had sweeping impacts on generations of Indigenous Canadians. I speak about the harm caused by residential schools regularly, O'Toole added. Now, when asked for a reaction to O'Toole's comments about the residential school system, the acting director for the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation said the comments signal a need to do better. Quote, it is our hope that all political leaders will tell us how they will do better than their predecessors. That starts with educating themselves about the calls to action and reading the final report. That from Stephanie Scott in a statement emailed to Global News. She goes on to say, Five years after the TRC called us to action, First Nations, Inuit and Métis Nation communities still face widespread poverty, food insecurity and housing insecurity. This is not an issue with which to score political points. It is a calling for us to resolve to do better. Michael Champagne is a leader in our community. He's also the founder of Meet Me at the Bell Tower, among other terrific initiatives for our city. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, we always uh, are honoured to uh, have some time. We know how busy you are, Michael. Your reaction on Twitter to these comments jumped out for me a couple of days ago. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Uh, certainly. Um, when I know that for me, when I first heard quotes from Aaron O'Toole, um, the tweet that I shared said that shared my perspective that as the son of an Indian residential school survivor and a product of the child welfare system, I've seen firsthand the damage that these schools have caused, and that damage ripples into the generations to come uh, if we don't heal old wounds. I was very disappointed in the comments of Aaron O'Toole and. I also wanted to point out that the irony is not lost on me that these comments were made on the five-year anniversary or discovered at least on the five-year anniversary of the release of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report earlier this week and shortly after the federal government introduced uh, the second United Nations Declaration Rights of Indigenous People inspired bill um, that the parliament has seen in the last year. Um, And so it's very frustrating for me and that was my initial that was my initial response O'Toole's comment you know, he referred to the woke crowd like he was taking a shot uh, at that particular as he sees it particular group what was your reaction to him saying that um, I, I think it's important for our political leaders to be focusing on being constructive and not using language that is intended to divide and I feel like when uh, you're saying things like, you know, the woke crowd. Um, it, it feels dismissive of a whole swath of people in Canada. And when you're leading a, a national party, my hope is that you wouldn't be looking at whole sections of the Canadian public and dismissing them before you, uh, you know, listen to what they're saying. If you're just uh, seeing them as woke, then you're not hearing what they have to say. For me, as somebody who has worked with um, conservative, liberal, and NDP governments at multiple levels, i I've seen how important it is to actually listen uh, when people are saying things. And I do appreciate that Aaron O'Toole has released that second statement um, explaining about, you know, the very existence of residential schools being a stain on Canada's history. Um, But I think this is a really important opportunity for me as someone who is personally impacted by 
uh, residential schools. And um, the larger system that it represents, that system of family separation in Canada, um, we got a bad history and it's not just a history it's happening to this day that's why i reframe residential schools as family separation because family separation happened there it happened in the 60s scoop and it's happening today in child welfare and so we really have to think seriously especially in the province of manitoba about uh, having conversations around um, this stain on canada's history quotation quotation because to me the stain continues to this day and so what i'd really love to hear um, from Aaron O'Toole is I'd love to hear him talk about which uh, TRC calls to action he's working on. I'd also love to hear from him um, which uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls calls to justice he's working on. Um, these are two documents that have been released in the last number of years. And if Conservatives um, want to get serious about reconciliation, the very bare minimum is, of course, reading these documents that residential school survivors and the families who have uh, women and girls that never came home shared their heart and soul and tears and pain uh, with these uh, commissions and inquiries. And so those calls to action and those calls to justice exist as a testament to the negative experiences that families like mine have experienced and to have national leaders politicize. Uh, the damage of Indian residential schools saying, oh, this liberal prime minister did this and this conservative prime minister did that. Well, guess what? From the perspective of Indigenous people, Canada did all of that. And if you want to be a leader of a country like Canada, then you have to own all of the things that Canada has done in the past and say, here's my plan on moving us forward um, in a constructive way in the future so we can actually have healing, not I'm going to inflame and divide and make uh, conversation and hearing one another even less possible. So I disagree strongly with Mr. O'Toole. Well, and it's not up to me to categorize uh, O'Toole's comments. That's why I wanted to reach out to you, Michael, uh, because the context in which he made these comments was about a conversation about naming things after individuals uh, that are attached to Canadian history. And it was really, in my mind, a trivial discussion that turned into this very, the term I want to use is ignorant take on where the residential school system uh, lies in uh, Canadian history. So pushing that aside, that's why I wanted to get uh, someone with, with your experience to, to comment on this because it's not necessarily for me to comment on. And for those that maybe don't understand, one of the terminologies we we touched upon yesterday, we had a conversation in this very same time slot yesterday with Greg Kaluli, who who uh, was a, a victim of, of Graham James' actions over the years, and he's written a book about that. And just this mm. very idea of... Of, of reconciling the, what you've been through and the history and the ramifications. Uh, I'm famous for saying cascading ramifications of actions of one individual. The tentacles are so far reaching. Help people understand who like to use the terminology towards Indigenous Canadians when it comes to this question of residential schools, the whole notion of get over it. Yes, get over it. Well, I think uh, one of the things that we have to think about from a logical perspe perspective um, are apologies. Um, when somebody gives you an apology, um, something that I like to say with people, and I'm sure listeners, uh, I've said it here on CGOB before, talk is cheap. 
And so to me, the best apology is changed behavior. And so if Canada as a country in 2009, uh, 2008, I believe, uh, is going to apologize to Indian residential school survivors for what they've done, and what they've done is family separation, then I would expect that from 2009 onwards as a country, we would cease to separate Indigenous families. And that has not happened. So, dear Canada, your actions are so loud that I cannot hear what you are saying. And so I think it's important for us to understand that these systems that were intended from residential schools to separate kids from their families and then ultimately their families from the lands so that Canada can continue um, unabided or unbothered uh, by Indigenous people occupying these lands, that's the root of residential schools. And that's the root of the family separation, unfortunately, that continues to happen uh, to this day. And so uh, I'm not going to get over something that continues to happen to this day. Manitoba as a province is the worst province for separating families using the child and family services system. And so this conservative government in Manitoba um, has performed a child welfare legislative review and yet has still continued to dawdle on implementing the reforms necessary to support families so that children can come home and this legacy of family separation can finally end. But, um, you know, for Aaron O'Toole and for anyone else who thinks that uh, residential schools was a thing that happened yesterday, the legacy of family separation continues today. And I'm not, uh, I'm not going to accept comments like this. Uh, without me at least speaking up and saying as the son of a residential school survivor, as a product of the child welfare system, um, I expect that leaders in this country will take documents like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Calls to Action and Justice seriously enough that they can actually say to me, these are the ones that I'm working on and here's how I've uh, taken action. So I would love to hear that. Well, we're proud to give you voice. We're proud to give you the platform to to ask for that response and a, a pledge to contact you and to reach out and have more conversations like this in 2021, Michael. I really appreciate you folks uh, inviting me to, to share my thoughts um, on something that's so personal for me. So uh, much gratitude to you. Yeah, we appreciate you, Michael. Thank you for this. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.